Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Well, here we are again, uh, continuing in Matthew one more time. And we are down to, um, where did I say, uh, verse 22 of chapter 17. Uh, hopefully we can kind of finish up the uh, 17th chapter, we've only got 27 verses, so we've only got five or six verses we need to cover. So we'll just kind of jump right into it and uh, see where we're at. So in verse, uh, well, 22 and 23 kind of go together. and says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. A couple of interesting things here. Uh, this is actually about the third time he has mentioned the uh, death, burial, and resurrection. You know, the upcoming death, burial, and resurrection back in chapter uh, 16, verse 21. Um, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things, the elders and priests and scribes, and be killed and raised again the third day. He alludes to it again in chapter 17 and verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, this is from the transfiguration, Jesus charged them saying, Tell no vision, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So he's referring to the death, burial, and resurrection there. And so now he just point blank does it again. And they're in Galilee. And he turns to them and he says, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. And they shall kill him in the third day. He shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Um, interesting the way Matthew phrases this because Mark and Luke both record this same exchange. And uh, in both cases, Mark and Luke say that the uh, the apostles responded um, by saying they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. However, Matthew here says, and they were exceeding sorry. So somehow there's a reconciliation between those two. But one thing I can say for sure, the disciples still were having a hard time grasping the fact that this was going to happen. Um, they, 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 they were following Christ. And, you know, their anticipation was this, at least this is my opinion, um, they, of course, had bought into the fact that he was the Son of God, that he was the Savior, he was the Messiah. Um, and they did this based on things they saw, things he said, by traveling with him and, you know, getting to know him. And, and so in their mind, you know, and seeing all the people follow him, 
um, in droves. You know, people were being converted left and right. And <clears throat> so their opinion was that this is what would generally happen. After all, he's the Messiah. How can people deny following the Messiah? Once they realize who he is, they naturally should go ahead and just buy in and follow him. But uh, apparently, uh, well, obviously, we know that everybody didn't buy in. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I, I kind of get... I, I get the idea that they wouldn't understand. I think uh, they were probably afraid to ask, as Mark and Luke said, because of who he was. And, you know, they they felt like they should understand, but don't. They, they didn't know what kind of response they were going to get. And Matthew here, he says they were very sorry. I think they were still struggling with the fact that how could people not receive him? How could people not see him as the Messiah, the Son of God? Um, and and they, were, they were saddened by it. Now, I don't know if so much that they were saddened by the fact they didn't receive him or just saddened by the fact that Jesus is telling them all along here that people were not, were not going to. Um, and, and they, you know, they, they still held, you know, somewhat... A belief like the rest of the Jews did that, you know, Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and become their king. He was going to be the kind of, of Messiah that they had envisioned and not, not the one that Christ was trying to portray. And so they're kind of sad that um, things are not going to turn out the way they want them to turn out. But nonetheless, that's kind of where they're at in this situation. So we move on then. It says uh, in... Uh, Verse 24, you see the situation where Jesus pays a tribute. Well, let's just read it. It says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth your master pay tribute? He saith yes. And when he, he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him or, or stopped him, caused him to pause, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. And Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook. Take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that, uh, that take and give unto them for me and thee. So the people who collect tribute uh, approach Peter and ask if Jesus is going to pay tribute because I think they recognize him as kind of the leader of the pack there. Uh, let me say just one thing. Um, you know, one of the things that would happen is they would take money, the, the ones who collected the money would take it and exchange it for uh, temple money, you know, different type of coin, maybe Hebrew coin as opposed to Roman uh, and, and they would make a profit off of that in that exchange. And I've even read somewhere in today's money that they were making as much as $45,000 a year each, you know, doing that sort of thing. They made pretty good money anyway. Uh, and so, of course, they weren't going to let anybody slip by. And um, it, under those circumstances, folks, it's just not hard. 
for a, a government, for lack of a better term, a government entity to uh, become greedy. There's a lot of money that flows through that way. Uh, the money, the tribute money was used, of course, for the upkeep of the temple to buy sacrifices, um, you know, just different things like that. So it was a necessary thing, and just like governments today, you know, they need tax money in order to survive. They don't generate their own money, so they get the money from the people, from the constituents. So it's very easy, and we can see that in politics today, where you can become very greedy and, and money just seems to flow and it, it kind of loses its value because there's so much of it and they don't, they don't understand what it's like to be on the bottom end of the income brackets. And um, so it's very easy for people to become corrupt. And there, there was rampant corruption. And you, and you see, you know, where Jesus overthrew, overthrew the tables in the temple and that sort of thing. It was because of the corruption that existed so it's very easy, no matter how how biblically based they may be, um, still, you know, money breeds corruption. People get greedy. Um, and so that's that's kind of what happened here. Peter kind of, uh, I think he may have uh, answered a little too fast um, because when he went to Jesus, and Jesus asked him the question, he says, you know, do people collect money from their family or do they collect it from strangers? And, of course, you know, Peter said, well, from family. Well, of course, Jesus was the Son of God. Um, he actually was exempt. It was his temple. He really wasn't subject to the tax. Uh, and I don't think Peter ever considered that. When he answered and said, well, yeah, of course Jesus pays tribute. Maybe he'd done it before. I don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about it. But it's very possible that it may have happened before. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they ask for the, the tribute. Now, you know, in further research, doesn't tell you here so much, but in further research, you can find that uh, the fee was a half shekel a year per person. And um, the coin that they got out of the fish's mouth, it says, was enough for both Jesus and for Peter. So it was double the amount of the... Uh, the regular amount, of course, that's God's abundance. You know, when when we follow His commands and do as He says and His provision for us, He always He always gives us what we need. And, you know, what's necessary. He's a generous God. He's so good. It may not always be in cash, but in so many ways, God does it by answering prayers and and uh, and different things like that. Um, so. You know, that's kind of what he does here. And, and so Peter, he's somewhat rebuking Peter a little bit there. Um, you know, so Peter, he had responded maybe a little bit hastily. Uh, but anyway, Jesus then turns around and says, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go down to the sea, cast a hook, take up the fish, the first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Um, you know, it begs the question here. Is there ever a time when a Christian should resist the reigning government? I mean, if there was ever a time you'd think they might, it would be here because it was a foreign government. There were a lot of demands and requirements and so on that the Roman government had put upon the Jewish people that were unreasonable. I mean, I think you probably remember the law that said, you know, if, if a Roman soldier asked you to 
carry his, uh, his cloak, equipment, and what have you. For Maoshes, carry it for two. Go above and beyond. So they, they obviously had requirements of the Jewish people because they were in subjection to do things that weren't quite right. So, you know, so we have to ask ourselves, uh, is there ever a time to resist? Because we live here in the United States of America. Uh, the only reason we are America is because we rebelled against the English government. That's really a tough question to answer because there's so many incidents in the Bible, and the Bible even says to submit, you know, to your leaders, um, where that seems to be what God expects. So why has America been so blessed if we have revolted against our leaders? Um you know, I think it all depends on the circumstance. It all depends on God's purpose. Um, you know, there has to be a greater purpose in place like there was, I think, for America. I mean, if you look at the way civilization shifted over the years, moving westward, by the time America started, you know, becoming strong, um, the cause of Christianity had had grown, had moved from the Middle East, from Israel, of course, and, and westward, um, engulfing all the different countries. Well, the Eastern Eastern Bloc, Russia and China and all, all those, you know, they're all pagan already. And as Christianity spread west, it became Christian and then shifted back to paganism. Um, and that's kind of where we are today, or at least humanism. And America is on the, I think we can safely say we're on the downward slope. Uh, we've been a strong biblical nation, and yet now here we are. Um, honoring the things of the devil, we're calling good evil and evil good. Um, many of the laws that we have nowadays are so upside down, and, and we were clearly a Christian nation, clearly based on biblical principles. And you could talk all day about some of the things that that occurred during the uh, colonial period. And the, you know, the things that the, our forefathers did that were directly based on their Bible reading. And then they'd read their Bibles and they'd go into Congress and say, here, the scripture says this, this is what we need to do. Our very uh, three branches of government is based on a passage out of the Old Testament, and, and, and you know it's worked so well because it's a biblically based program, and yet it doesn't make much difference how biblically based you may be in the beginning. Um, Satan digs and prods, and he's very methodical in what he does, and he does the same thing in our personal lives. Um, he'll turn you. He will turn governments. He'll turn nations. He always has, and until Jesus comes back. He will continue to do that um, until we find ourselves in a situation where um, we're no longer serving God. And I think that's when God moves on. So anyway, to get back to my point, the fact is the uh, all the European nations had been saturated with evil. You know, they had been Christian, but were no longer. And, and God needed a country to spread the gospel. And so... He just continued to move westward, or yeah, westward. Uh, and so America was it. You know, we're the last bastion of Christianity, quite frankly, and I think we need to be concerned about that. So this kind of 
uh, you know, this, this is the kind of passage that makes you question, you know, what you're doing. And I think ultimately you just need to know that um, we got to put, put Christ first. We need to represent Christ however that may be. Um, in, in the case of America, it was a time to stand up for the freedom of religion so we could share the gospel. Um, but I think we've run our course. Um, so anyway, those are just things to think about. We've reached the end of the chapter, and we're out of time. We've run over just a little bit. So uh, until next time, God bless you. We'll see you in chapter 18.